Hello, and before we start the show, we have some really big news to share with all of you. And so I'm going to kick it over to Bonnie so she can be the one to announce this great, exciting news. Oh, thank you, Casey. Um, yeah, I, I co-edited along with uh, Franz Dedman, Thomas J. Ord, and Tim Reddish a book. And it's now available on Amazon and other places where you might buy books online. It's called Partnering with God. And it's a collection of 77 essays from an open and relational perspective, theological perspective. So those of you who've heard me talk about process theology on Arenacast, this book is all about process theology and how we humans partner with God. Yeah, check it out. And maybe we'll talk about it more at some other point on, on Arenacast. So go get your copy now. Support Bonnie and the great work that she does. And now... Let's get on with the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are Irenacast, a group of folks leaning into our progressive Christian imagination. I'm Casey. This is Rajiv. I'm Jeff. And I'm Bonnie. On the first and third Tuesday of every month, we provoke conversation for shifting perspectives. On theology and culture. Thank you for joining us. This week is our third part in a six-part series on deconstruction and reconstruction. And so today we are going to be talking about sort of the aftermath of deconstruction. The dark night of the soul is sort of what we are going for here, which sounds really sort of gloomy and sad. (laughs) You want to like sit in a corner and eat a candy bar. But no, I'm hoping that out of this conversation today, we might give you some food for thought around uh, what it means to redeem your journey or to walk sort of through the dark night of the soul and what can happen after that. And for our segment uh, today, we're going to be doing Totally Redeemed, where each of us will share something we loved, we hated, and then we loved again uh, for new reasons. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, We're so glad that you are with us. So, Dark Nights of the Soul. I think it's one of the things that kind of I would get into this. I know that based on our conversation, and we've kind of alluded to this before this point, but based on our conversation, we're kind of creating a little bit of like a linear timeline in terms of how these things going. But we also want to acknowledge that our titles beyond the binary. So we ebb and flow through these things. Right throughout our lifetime. Um, But there are moments in these ebbs and flows, depending upon where we are in our journey, where we do hit this moment of like, everything's lost. (laughs) I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm gone. Like, I don't know what's, what's happening. I think that we're kind of addressing that moment or moments, depending upon, (laughs) you know, how we, how we're kind of progressing through all of this. So I, I just wanted to make sure we made that like explicit as we're kind of talking about this whole deconstruction, reconstruction journey thing. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it is important to remember that this isn't a one-size-fit-all experience. These things happen over and over again, hopefully. That's sort of the joy of our faith, that we have the ability to challenge, to wonder, to be transformed by it, and to be pissed about maybe some of the things we believed in the past. Right, and sometimes these things happen all at once. You know, so, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, Jeff, because it's, sometimes I think we do think we're, you know, it could be interpreted that we're talking about stages in a process, and it's a process, but not necessarily stages that there's like that they're delineated from one from the other. So, 
And that's what beyond the binary, I think that's what we're attempting to to do is to blur all those lines and it's more like a big soup. Yeah. So well, we should rename it then. <laughs> beyond the soup. Beyond the <laughs> soup. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> a soup put in a blender. <laughs> right. It's hard to distinguish, right? The different parts. It does feel like it's happening all at once. So, uh, you know, when we're thinking about sort of the soup, Bonnie, what what are we talking about here? Um, And I think I've talked about my story a little bit on Irenicast before about what I would call the dark night. In fact, I don't know. I It's interesting that I just now said what I would call the dark night because I don't think I've ever called it that. But I've had people around me, like my spiritual mentors, say, oh, that's the dark night of the soul when I shared with them what I was going through. Yeah, it's just interesting to say, well, maybe I'm at a place now where I'm calling it that myself. And I think that's a, that's an important thing maybe too for people who are listening to think about that you have your own language for your experience. And other people may have their language for your experience, but it's your language for your experience that matters. Finding those words when really the experience often feels completely ineffable, like you, you, you can't define it in words. It's hard to do. It's hard to find words. The process of deconstruction for me was an unraveling process. It felt like once one thread was tugged, and for me, that first thread was, well, it was Jesus, basically. Jesus as, as the Savior of the world and the Savior of me, personally. The atonement theology just didn't make sense to me. And once that thread was tugged, everything began to unravel, all of it. What I didn't know as, I, as these threads were being tugged, and it felt like it wasn't a choice, it was happening to me that unraveling was so deeply connected to the very core of who I am as someone who was born into fourth generation into a very fundamentalist Christian tradition that as it unraveled, it unraveled to the place that was the very center of me. And it was tugging on all that I knew about myself. It felt like the deepest parts of me broke. And I think that's probably, when I talk about it to, like I said, spiritual mentors, they're like, oh, that's the dark night of the soul. They're referring to St. John of the Cross, the mystic's experience, and he's he has written a, a book about his experience, Dark Night of the Soul, um, which is really worth reading if for anybody who's interested. Um and, and that's exactly what it felt like. It felt like the very inner part of me, it it broke, like it like it was fragile anyway. It was like a an uncooked egg, <laughs> and tap tap tap, the shell broke. When I look back on it, a metaphor that comes to mind is the meta- metaphor of metamorphosis, the caterpillar who who finds a place and waits and just is very still and quiet, covers 
itself in a, in this shell, this chrysalis, to sort of keep it at least together during this transformational process. An external shell, which for me were my family, friends, people who didn't give up on me, who just kind of held me because I was breaking inside. And then in time, not doing anything, but waiting and sitting still in the darkness and in the ashes and in the, the destruction, waiting, and then things sort of turned. And I was truly a new, a completely new person on the other side of it. That's really hard and beautiful, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, when you're talking about um, the unraveling felt like it was happening to you. Mm-hmm. And the the ability to um, easily break, the, you know, that, that you felt like right at the core there, it, the center of who you were was so fragile i wonder if a part of that because i don't experience you i don't think any of us experience you as fragile i see you as like cement you are a firm foundation and i wonder if for any of us who are who go through this process when they get to this point of breaking the fear is is that if we go any further there might not be anything left yes but i think the only reason it's fragile is because it's not yours to begin with. It's been given to you. You are told that this is who you should be. You are expected to live in this manner. And so what makes you fragile is the fact that much of who you think you are has been handed to you by somebody else. Yeah, I, I think I think that's true. I think there's a, a great deal of resistance to the complete the unraveling sure. process. Yeah. Like, like, okay, I'm almost there. I'm not going to take one step further, you know, and we'll just call it done. I think it's possible to sit there for a to live on that edge for a long time. And you can see it, you can see the abyss, but you're just not going to tip over into it. You're and but after a while that the energy that it takes to resist the the wind that's blowing you into that space you just can't. I, I mean, I couldn't. It was too hard. You know, I think there's some philosophical or spiritual platitudes where there's like a saying that when you take that leap, you may find the wings to fly or something like that. You don't know, though. You don't know. You just know that you're going to fall. You don't know how far the bottom is. And it's very scary. And especially, you know, I was like responsible for people and two yeah. people. It wasn't like I was a teenager. This was in my mid-30s that I went through this experience. I was fighting. The, the resistance kept telling me, this is so irresponsible of you to take this leap. And, you know, I'm I'm speaking to women out there who might also be mothers, Maybe you became a mother at a very young age and you didn't have the opportunity to actually go through the process of fully developing as as a, a human before you took on all this responsibility or before this responsibility was handed to you. My kids are 25 and 28 now, and all they can say to me is, thank you for showing us how to not give up on oneself. As hard as it was, I'm sure, for them at the time, 
they saw they were able to watch me go through this process of finding out who I really am rather than having a mom who's always trying to be somebody else's version, trying to live up to somebody else's version of who I was supposed to be or who I'm supposed to be. The dark night is a is a is a very hard painful journey because you don't know when it's going to end and you don't know if it's going to end when you take that first step. But it almost doesn't matter. I guess I'll I'll leave it at that. <laughs> because I, I there's no way to say, oh, but you know, keep going and soon there's a light at the end of the tunnel or it, it almost doesn't it almost doesn't matter. The darkness it's a scary place, but it's also it can also be a very um, nourishing place. Um, you know, during some of the the darkest moments during this this time, the dark night of the soul. One resource that I found really helpful and sort of a companion on the journey was a book called "Healing Through the Dark Emotions: The Wisdom of Grief, Fear, and Despair" by Miriam Greenspan. So I'm just throwing that out there in case it might be um, useful to anybody who's listening. Yeah, I think the part that you talked about, Bonnie, the not knowing if this is going to end, if this is it, like this is my life from here on out, but still not being able to avoid making the steps because the alternative is far more devastating than going into the unknown. It isn't really a choice. I mean, it kind of is, but it really isn't. You know what staying put is going to do to you. I mean, you've, you've felt it coming for a long time. And you don't know what's down that other path. I think that highlights the intensity of these journeys of those of us who have gone through the painful parts, you know, and, and ventured into the dark night of the soul, is stepping into the unknown is more favorable and desirable than staying put. You know, there's lots of stories and examples of what the, how that manifests. I think for anybody who's truly embarks on a spiritual journey or or is willing to embrace that, will come to these moments at least once. Sometimes it's more more than once. And then I, I, I feel like sometimes now, having been through what maybe is a couple of iterations of this process, I almost look forward to the next unknown because it's not as scary now. And I don't maybe that's foolishness. <laughs> or you know or or maybe that's just having just given oneself over to to the adventure and the mystery that this journey is are we going on a treasure hunt i mean that's what it feels like right nobody's sad that they ever went on the adventure of looking for treasure even if you come up with nothing but you're always transformed by the experience of the adventure right i mean you use that word just now regime adventure or experience or something. But for me, it's like, um, that's what it feels like. It, it, it There is so much that going on an adventure costs and takes from you. And there are parts of you that you must leave behind along the way in order to move forward. 
but you're always transformed by the experience in, in ways that are profound, that are sometimes even unspeakable. Even if you come up short, even if you never find a treasure, the adventure was worth it. And I think that that's something that for any of us who are on this path or this journey, who live at the cusp of, do I unravel here? Do I allow myself to walk fully into this, even as it's happening and you cannot control it? I just want to lean into this idea and to remind listeners um, that even if you come up short, it does not change that you have experienced something sacred and holy and you have received something out of it a complete new identity for some of us and know that you will never be the same. Yeah, it's, I love the treasure hunt idea, but it's a treasure hunt with no map. Yeah. You know, there's not even a piece of paper that maybe there's a secret map on it where if you hold it to a certain light or squirt lemon juice on it or whatever, <laughs> and you have no flipping idea what it is you're looking for, sure. what the treasure is. But I think over and over, things that I experience and things that I've heard other people share is you go out on this treasure hunt and all of a sudden, you know, you're you're kind of plodding along and these people emerge who are also on their own treasure hunt and you share conversations. You're like, oh, my God, there's so many of us out here, what feels like wandering on the surface, but it's this purposeful, driven wandering of discovery and in those conversations, you know, I think a new kinships, new kinships are formed and you're affirmed that, okay, this was the right thing for me to do, even though it has been costly. And it's like some of those people you've known for a while, but you didn't know this about them. But most of them, in my experience, for me personally, most of them were, were new relationships that were formed because I feel like spiritual wanderers can spot each other. Yeah, I like the treasure hunt me metaphor is a good one. <laughs> um, thank you for that, Casey. I think, though, once you decide that you're going to take the leap, you're going to pull the last thread, and you don't know how long it is and what there is left to unravel, that it can be really tempting to, like, leap and then find a ledge and hang there for a bit so you're not free falling and and that's like a, a super normal response and so sometimes we just sort of transfer our structure our belief structure for another belief structure and we do that like right we 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 can be tempted to do that like right away like what's the next thing for me to hang on to since this is no longer available to me you know, if we stay there for a while, we might find that we need to let go of that too. And it can feel like, what? I Here I am again. Now I need to let go of this new thing I just grabbed onto. It seemed like it was a good fit, but it's just still, but it's not. There's still more for me to, more for me to explore. So I, I just want to, you know, just all of it is part of of the process. And we can be so cruel to ourselves on this journey. Why haven't we figured it out yet? People have told me that if this and this and this are aligned, then this is the next thing that's going to happen. And it hasn't. So maybe something's wrong with me. 
you know, we do this to ourselves, our self-talk. And I think the, the greatest gift for me personally, when I was pushed over <laughs> into, into this free fall that I had no idea where it was going to end. And physically, my in, during that time period, you know, my kids and Rajiv can tell you, I spent a lot of time laying on the floor as close to Mother Earth as possible in a fetal position. And I would just be like, I, I need a moment. And I, I mean, I spent a lot of time during that 18-month period or so in that space. I needed to be grounded. I needed every part of me to feel as much grounding as possible because I really did feel like I was in a free fall, a, a spiritual free fall. But I think the greatest gift in retrospect was that cruel inner voice that somehow was planted along the way, probably through this fundamentalist tradition from the time I was a baby. It sort of broke apart. It's not to say that I'm not self-critical. I still am self-critical. There's a, a, a voice of shame that had lived with me forever up to that point that no longer served me. I was free falling. And that voice was just like left up there on the on the ledge. And I can say that, you know, I've always I've always thought it would be really cool to fly. And it sort of is really cool to fly in this spiritual sense, in the darkness, knowing that some of those voices, those voices that want to pull on you and keep you from really becoming fully alive, they're not they don't jump with you. Because they they can't, there's they don't they can't live there, and and that is is the most amazing kind of freedom that I mean I get like choked up thinking about it, um in in retrospect, I don't know I I just thought I would share that because I do think sometimes we can be really cruel to ourselves in this whole process of deconstructing reconstructing and. What does it mean? And where are you? And I've done it up to this point, And, you know, like all of that kind of talk. It's not really helpful. It's not helpful. I, I like that metaphor of flying because really like what are we doing is we're, we're learning a new way to move throughout the world. Yes. Where walking, running, we were reliant on some foundation, something to hold us. And of course, it's going to be disorienting when we're going to a new way to move through the world where there's nothing. It's all experience. It's all, you know, feeling through. And I think maybe that's part of that journey is that we're not just moving from one thing to rely on to another thing to rely on, but we're moving from having to rely on things to learning to experience things. Yes. And it's such a disorienting process. You know, I think one of my favorite shows in the early 2000s was Smallville and it was Superman in high school. <laughs> and, you know, always the scenes where, you know, you, you learning to fly or learning to use these new abilities or whatever and how frustrating and how much self-doubt is created in those characters until they finally get it, you know, until, or Hook is another good example. Remember that movie Hook with Robin Williams where he couldn't fly until he yep. figured out his happy thought or whatever. And I think that, I think that those metaphors are 
great ones like the treasure hunt and flying. I think they're very useful to kind of give us an idea of where things are going. But I also think there's a flip side to that where I think they're great hindsight metaphors. And I think that there's a tendency to, especially coming from, you know, a theology that's based off of the suffering of Christ, there's a tendency to like glorify and romanticize suffering and then therefore belittle what people are going through in the moment because of what we know or we hope is going to be come from that suffering. And I think that it, when we're talking about the dark night of the soul, it's also important to recognize that it's a dark night of the soul. Like it sucks. Absolutely. And there, when you hit the ground and you can't get your flying maneuvers down or whatever, those are real moments of like dread of this is the end in a lot of ways. And I know that especially when we haven't many times in those scenarios been given you know, adequate tools for our mental health. Uh, those can be really dangerous moments. So I think that that's another thing. And as we ha- go on in these conversations, we're going to talk about the importance of community and other voices in our life. But I do, I do want to acknowledge that for those of you that may be listening, especially that are like in the midst of those, that dark moment um, or that, that moment of dread that we don't want to, over romanticize it or trivialize it in any way. And something you said, Bonnie, a minute ago about letting go. It's like, it's just a process of letting go, letting go, letting go. And in thinking about that, we do in order to get to essence, there's so much to let go of. And a big part of this journey, this treasure hunt is finding that inner core and the world in a negative sense has put layer upon layer upon layer of stuff on us that we've accepted and worked to internalize that, you know, that's a big part of the work is letting go of a lot of that. I think it's uh, really important for us to hear Bonnie say that this is not a linear process. And Rajiv saying there is no fucking, um, treasure map. And I think it's really super important for listeners to hear us say that we're not we're not inviting you into something as if we know exactly what you need, right? We're not prescribing to you anything. And I think it's easy because of the way many of us grew up. You know, we had religious leaders tell us, if you just pray this much or if you just mm-hmm. read the Psalms this right. much, your faith is going to look like this. It's going to be transformed. There are boxes you can check that will point to what being good at whatever Christianity looks like. We are not saying that. I just want to bring us back to that soup metaphor. This is messy. It is mixed up and it's a process. And I want to follow that with Bonnie's talking about voices of shame and guilt. I really want to challenge the idea of when you begin to hear what you think is the voice of the divine or whatever, the Holy Spirit, essence, whatever you want to use. Um, if that voice is full of shame mm-hmm. and anger mm-hmm. towards you, I would invite you to wonder about whose voice you are actually hearing. I think that that is something that um, is so important is that when we do not be misguided, that when you are feeling uh, shame or guilt or judgment, that that's the voice of God. Uh, I would argue that it might be the exact opposite. Find the voice in you that calls you to freedom, 
to love, to spaciousness, to, to the adventure itself. And you might be closer to finding something in you that is holy and divine than that voice of shame and guilt. And, and I, I also really appreciate what you said, Jeff, because you're right. When you're jumping off something and you don't know where you're landing, there's an element of danger mm. in that. And, and especially to one's mental health and well-being. And our societies are not structured around allowing people the space to go through that and to have like, you know, to have people around one to support one through that process. We just, we don't just, like, we're in a rat race. We're always in a rat race. And so if you can't function for a while, which was my experience, I had about an 18 month window of time. Fortunately, with enough support, family support, that I was fed and sheltered. However, if I didn't have that family support, I probably wouldn't have been fed and sheltered because I couldn't function well enough to provide that for myself. And so, yes, you know, I I sought out, which was all part of the experience. Like, I didn't even know. I didn't have any resources to know, like, who do you call when you're having a breakdown? Where What are you supposed to do? I was told to be afraid of of mental health providers and therapists and medicine. And yet I needed all of those things mm. during that time. Yeah. So um, it was a spiritual experience in a very modern, crazy rat race world paradigm. Yes. Sometimes you're, you know, you, you need medical intervention, you need, and also, the the courage, the spiritual courage to to not let those interventions shut down. And I, I'm I don't want to be misunderstood here, and I'm hoping some of my co-hosts can help me with this language. But you know, you need the support that you need to get through it. But also, I think that sometimes it can be we could want to over intervene, which then prevents us from going through the whole process of the, the the experience that that transition of what you're talking about going from the set of rules to actually fully experiencing something to experiencing life staying in the experience is important i guess is what i'm trying to say but get the help that you need to be able to stay in the experience and for me that was medication it was some therapy and it was space out of the regular rhythms of life. I hear you saying don't over-narcotize. Right? Kind of, yeah. Or find your thing. Find your thing that is like, okay, this will numb it. This will, like, this will prevent me from feeling like I'm free-falling. Because there are plenty of options out there for that. And some of them are like good, quote, good, or less shamed by society. But you know, deep inside, you know, if that's what was going on in you. Pay attention to that knowing, that deep knowing. So it was the title of this episode, <laughs> Flying through, the, through a Treasure Hunt in Soup. Yeah. <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that this is, I mean, how do, you, how do you put in words? Which is why I think it's, you know, 
they're weird metaphors out of context, obviously, but how do you put into words this moment? Because like you said in the beginning, Bonnie, you can't like, it has to be our own words. It has to be our own story. Otherwise, can we really work through and experience it in the way that, that we need to? And I think that there are layers to it related on one's like racial identity, gender identity. I think that flying may feel like freedom when you've been in such a repressed situation before you took the leap. Whereas for others who might not have felt oppressed or repressed, it may feel more like a complete breaking apart or like losing something, losing something, losing position, losing status. It's hard, <laughs> no matter no matter who you are, it's hard, but it's different kinds of hard. And, you know, there's different kinds of freedom. And, and, and I keep coming to that word. And freedom is also related to self that can be part of the experience. Right. I think we've we talked about this before about how the the devastation of our own experiences does vary. And we found that our, our gender, race, our identities in the world have a lot to do with how severe that moment can be. Because I know we've talked about it. My unraveling was a very slow process. And I felt safe throughout most of it, if I'm honest. And it wasn't until I lost like financial security and a sense of like self-empower that I really had to had that moment where I felt like, okay, this is falling apart. But that's, that's a very like straight white male kind of experience because it wasn't until I lost that influence as a, as a minister, you know, and that's kind of sad. <laughs> I mean, it really is like it's, it, but it's still my experience. But then part of that deconstructing is also recognizing like how unique or how damaging my own experiences in is in connection to society. And then how much my fundamentalist upbringing reflected that. And it very much did in so many ways. Yeah. Jumping back to the language thing for a sec. <laughs> You know, like Jeff, you were talking about the, these metaphors out of context or like, what are they smoking? Um, but I love that we just were struggling to describe this because I for me, I, I if, because it's what I've got, you know, I, in my head, I think of this as what, you know, a Grand Canyon moment. Like I've been to the Grand Canyon. I've been on the edge of it. And it's almost incomprehensible even when you're standing there like the vastness is just it doesn't seem real and you're standing right there and then to try to describe that to someone else who's never been there there's no way i mean you can mumble and stumble and try to explain the grand canyon to somebody who's never been there but to someone else who's been there maybe on a different part on a different day in a different season it's like yeah my angle is a little different. My perspective is a little different, but I've been there too. It's really hard to talk about with somebody who hasn't been there too. And this is why I think I still actually like Jesus. Yeah, me too. Right? Because because I think Jesus got that. Mm-hmm. And Jesus describes it as a gate, you know, a mm-hmm. door, uh, mm-hmm. whatever the hell, the treasure to be found. 
and understanding that if you're really going to get to this place, it's going to cost you your entire life. You know, that you're going to actually have to sacrifice for this way of being in the world, that there is freedom. And we're not elevating suffering, we're not, but really in there, there is something about saying, I'm going to, I'm going to lose my friends, I'm going to lose potentially my job, but there is going to be suffering in the freedom to be to be all of who I have been created to be, not just the self that was handed to me, the pre-prescribed self that says, this is how I, my mode of operation in the world. Jesus knew something about that. And so that's why we get parables and metaphors that sometimes the disciples are like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, what are you smoking, Lord? Um, uh, So anybody who's listening to this, who has not had this experience, might wonder about that. What are you talking about? But I feel like we're in good company with Jesus who says, look, if you you do not know what I'm talking about, then you have missed the point of all of this in the first place. Do you remember, like, the rawness of your soul in that moment? And I think that that's often something, like, I can remember feeling so raw and so close to tears all the time and so close to explosive anger all the time and so close to, you know, wanting to, like, go in a corner and just, like, curl up, you know. So just the rawness uh, that that like real experience that that you're talking about, Jeff. That like it, unfilteredness of the experience, and then kind of like in the moment thinking, I f- I feel really alive. There's blood flowing through my whole body right now, not just little tiny parts that I've like reserved and kept sa- safe from this community that I'm have am a part of and I only show so much of myself and I reserve other parts of myself and lock them away. I feel like those little reserved parts are like invading and occupying my entire body and my entire experience. And it feels a little bit like a rush and also very tender and very scary. And I just I'm just wondering if if raw is a word that you might use or if there's another word like that, the intensity that sometimes comes along with this experience of the, the final unraveling or the leap or the treasure hunt or whatever. Yeah. I, I remember it. I don't like it though. <laughs> yeah. Cause it was, it, yeah, it was, I don't regret it for one second, but it's, it's tough, man. It it's so so hard to be in in those spaces. I'm glad I went through it though, or you know, I'm still in it. Just have gotten more used to it. I honestly, I don't really think I had that visceral of a response or a moment. Probably for a variety of different reasons. Uh, most of the time, I don't give myself the luxury to yeah <laughs> to do that. It feels like luxury. It's true. Yeah. I think vulnerability is the word that comes to me. Like, I felt so vulnerable. So you're always on the brink of tears. You, you're you quick to anger, right? But there's a sense in you of, like, I feel free and I feel sort of unstable, right? Yeah. 
Like I am, I've, it's this like, there is freedom here and I feel like I'm just learning to walk. I know the way and I don't. So that's what I would say about that. Yeah. Pregnancy might be another good metaphor as well. Cause it, for me, it sort of felt like I was pregnant with myself. For those who may have carried a pregnancy and given birth, there's that, that experience of, you know, that there's another living being that's dependent upon one's body for survival and you're walking around and as the being grows and moves, you feel like you are two separate beings in one body um, eventually towards the end of pregnancy. And this experience was I felt like I was really pregnant with with myself that and and then all the 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 hormonal experience of pregnancy too where you're sort of all over the place and emotionally <laughs> also applies to this experience as well. Well, I mean, we were, Casey brought up Jesus a second ago and like Jesus said some weird stuff like pregnancy pregnant with myself. That's some weird Jesus <laughs> stuff right there. You're like, there's something to it, but boy, is that weird. Our metaphors would have been a lot more fun if Jesus was a woman. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Sure. No, I, I think that's brilliant, Bonnie. It really is. That's that's going to stick with me for a minute. Yeah. Giving birth to oneself. and be, But before you can give birth to oneself, you have to be pregnant with oneself. Right. And that's a, you know, that takes that's some, some love time. Making, honey. <laughs> some love making. And before that, the lovemaking. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right well with all of that with uh the love making of self being pregnant with oneself uh, sipping the soup <laughs> flying <laughs> flying and treasure hunting we wrap this up so let us know what you think to add your voice to this particular conversation comment on the show notes at irenacast.com slash 185 In the show notes, you'll find relevant links and a complete list of all the ways to add your voice to this conversation. And if you haven't already, please consider joining our email list. Joining our email list is the best way to keep updated on all the things I run a cast, including our next intersection session that will be taking place on Thursday, uh, Thursdays, February 3rd through March 10th at 7 p.m. Pacific time. We are so excited about that. We're getting ready to launch our our first Irenicast group uh, cohort. I'm sure that's going to be amazing, and we'd love to have you in our, our next group. You can find a link to subscribe in the show notes at irenicast.com slash 185. On the other side of the music, uh, we will be kicking it back the things that we loved, we hated, and then we loved again. That's such an Enneagram 4 thing uh, to say, <laughs> to talk about all the things I love and then I hate and then I love again. I can even think of boyfriends, you know, of my past. So uh, stick around. Uh, thanks for listening. And we're back. And so uh, (laughs) we are back. And so we now will be launching into a a conversation, a segment on the things that we loved, we hated, and then we loved again. And so I'd love to hear from each of you, maybe something that you loved, you hated, and then you loved again that you'd be willing to share with us. Well, one of the things that I, I really loved for a time 
because was was there were a few bands that played genres of music that I really loved anyway that were pretty good. They weren't as good as the you know the real bands, but like uh, DC Talk, Audio Adrenaline, the OC Supertones, and <laughs> it was like I mean again. Not nearly as good as the quote real bands, but in in the wheelhouse. So I really got into those albums, especially Audio Adrenaline stuff. I loved Audio Adrenaline, and then it was like, oh my god, listen, do you hear what they're saying? And now I'm back to like, I will turn up those songs sometimes and just I, I love them again. But it, the the sting of the the troubling theology is sort of gone because I'm like. Yeah, that was then, that was them, and they're just familiar, and they're fun. So so I'm assuming you haven't seen the news story about the Audio Adrenaline guitarist recently? No, what did he do? Did he kill somebody? Um, well, you could argue that he is <laughs> participating in activities that oh, are he, killing is people. Is he a Q person? Well, he, there's this footage of, I'll put it in the show notes if I can find it, there's this footage of this uh, school board meeting, and after oh, no. the school board meeting, the health experts are leaving, and uh-huh. the mob is like, you're killing us, like yelling at the health care experts, like, oh. we know where you live, all that kind of stuff, and one of the mob is the guitarist from oh, Audio Adrenaline. Come on. Well, there you go. <laughs> so I guess this I goes back again. to the... <laughs> I hate him again. It's love, a soup. Hate, it's love, a soup. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> So you have to pick another one now because oh you hate him. It's like Michael W. Smith. He's also like Ugh, oh, I don't even some of these guys crazy. Yeah. Apparently, there's only room in that big house if you have a mask. Only <laughs> if you don't have a mask. The father's right. house, right? The father's right. house. The father's house. Maybe we'll have better oh luck at the mother's house. Maybe <laughs> move to the mother's house. <laughs> move to the mother's house. <laughs> right. Yes, where please. people people are giving birth to themselves. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Sorry. I didn't feel like I just. <laughs> <laughs> you rained on my parade. You might have man. to think of another one. No, I don't think no, so. I think that's, I think that's, that's fair. Okay. Well, I'll, let me throw in just the complexity. Yeah, the complexity, the complexity, the complexity is, is real. But some, this is sort of, a, this is tangent, adjacent to this, but tangent, is um, a great deconstructing album, deconstructing, almost reconstructing album for me was Bad Motor Finger by Soundgarden. That is like, for me, it just like hit all the feels in those really dark, angry times. Oh, my God. It's the best. Still love them. Always have. It probably comes in just no surprise, but mine is food related. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I've had an up and down relationship with Brussels sprouts. When I was a kid, I actually really liked them. Mm. Um, And then I fell into the peer pressure of none of my other friends. Liked them and Brussels sprouts were gross. So I was like, yeah, they're gross. But as an adult, I've learned to love them because I learned the art of like roasting vegetables. Like before, I just steam them because I was trying to be like healthy or whatever. But roasting vegetables, like it literally changes the taste of so many of them. And my favorite one to roast is Brussels sprouts because it gets that nice char at the bottom, caramelizes the bottom, and you mix it in some olive oil and, and garlic. And so good. So yeah, Brussels sprouts is my like thing that has been redeemed in my life or from loving to hating and now loving again. That's not exciting, but I, I think we need to add a subtitle to our segments is a Renicast segment 
let's see how Rajiv can misunderstand this one. <laughs> once, I mean, Jeff's like bringing in, I'm like, bros, we could do like anything. <laughs> I'm like, I thought it was like a, something in our religious life that we loved, hated. <laughs> The, the segments have always been everything. See, that's that just goes to your fundamentalist mindset yeah, of like, <laughs> this that's is true. for this. Rajiv, we're going to break you of this. This is the yeah. segment. The, really, that's why we that's started true. the segment. Just to, to sort of break free you. from all of it. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought right, I'm curious one. to see what Casey and Bonnie have to say now. Yeah. All right. Oh, Brushless Spouse is a good one because, yeah, I've had, I've had a love-hate relationship with Brushless Sprouts, too. But um, I'm going to stick with the religious theme because that's what's up for me right now. <laughs> Thank you. So I'm the weirdo on this one then. <laughs> um, and it's, it's the most surprising because I think that, you know, I think with redemption, if we're calling it redeemed, also comes an element of surprise. Like you're, you're like, whoa. This is, you know, I have a different relationship with this this thing now. I wasn't expecting that to happen. That's true of the Bible for me. Honestly, I like I was, you know, told that this is the book. Um then I I burned every single Bible I had in my house um during some of those moments of like just rage and rebellion against all of it. I I st- stomped on it i spit on it i did all the things that you're not supposed to do as part of this this treasure hunt journey and now when i when i pick up the bible i read some of the stories i'm like wow this is like an amazing legacy that we get to carry and that we've inherited and that connects us to like humanity across time and place and that I find to be really profound. So there you go. Love, hate, and then love again, but love in this whole new way. Yeah, I actually, uh, Brussels sprouts are great, Jeff. Uh, the Bible and Jesus music. That's that, like, those are all the things I think I, I mean, Brussels sprouts of the three would not have been at the top of the list, but all of those things are definitely things that I have hated, loved, or loved, hated, and then, Loved again. So I I think that I'm going to probably just go with you, Rajiv, and stick with Jesus music. I, I honestly, I know that's so ridiculous, but I um, I do. I love me some Jesus music, especially live. Uh, this is really TMI, but I really do love live worship albums like Hillsong. <laughs> I, and oh, I, will, I will play them so loud in my car. <laughs> really? oh, yeah, man. which is really embarrassing. For me, it's... Um, that that music was about feeling something, mm-hmm. and as an Enneagram Four, I'm all about feeling. And so, when I want to evoke a certain emotion in myself or recall something in me that either you know can be good or bad, I will play some of that. Um, like I have an actual like Sunday morning worship playlist uh, that I that I play every Sunday on my way to to church to sort of you know put me in a space. So. Is it a static playlist? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, 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 would you mind sharing in the yeah. show notes so that we awesome. can put that out there and sure, put out Casey's? Uh, yeah, is it, it kind of cringy? Yeah, it's really cringy though. <laughs> oh. So that's the we'll, that's a we'll thing. add a trigger warning to <laughs> it. It's very trigger warning. It's very cringy because I mean, some of it is like from the revival stuff I used to. I go oh, totally like the the very the song that I you know 
took my very first altar call trip down to the altar. You know, I mean, there's some of that stuff in there. Which I is gotta like, hear this. Yeah, it's I gotta really hear cringy. it. It's <laughs> yeah, really me, cringy. Me too. But I mean, the one I was debating. I'm gonna go ahead and throw this in as a bonus. And you guys may not be old enough to remember the this. It was actually a little bit of a franchise. The new Messiah, the young Messiah. I mean. Oh yeah. Oh they, yeah. They uh-huh. redid the Messiah, and then there was the new young Messiah, which was my favorite. And out of that whole album, Larnell Harris's version of Every Mountain, Every Valley, I mean, is like, it still gets me every time. I feel like the sky's about to open and Jesus is coming again. I like it. Hallelujah. It's, <laughs> it's so weird. There's some of those songs that'll get me. And I'll still go back to some of those songs. Some of them I have gone back to and I've been like, nope, still hate. <laughs> I still, still can't. Hate. I still can't do this. I still can't. Uh which probably, hopefully, will stay the case. But there are there are those ones. Well, the, like you said, the music that make you like Tell feel or remind you of a moment. Start playing it in the house. Yeah, then... like when Rajiv earlier was talking about the the ska. Like I went to the Scalaluya tour where it was <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, it was Scalaluya. Supertones, Five Iron, and who's that other band? Um, Insiders, the three big ska bands. And I went to that concert. It was like the best thing in the world at the time. <laughs> Hey, that was the very first band uh, uh, concert I ever went to was Supertones, Switchfoot, Reliant K. Wow. Yeah. And I fell in love with Switchfoot. I actually still love Switchfoot uh, because I thought that their altar call was not pre-planned. I should have known. I'm such an idiot, you know. But anyway, they (laughs) got to do the altar call. Right. Which made me feel like they were the most, uh, Mm. you know, connected to the Lord. And I saw the Supertones guys smoking cigarettes out in the back. And that meant they were real sinners. Right. Oh, goodness. So there you go. But I still actually do love Switchfoot. I don't. I mean, I, musically, the, the only reason is I went to a third day Switchfoot concert and uh, not Foreman, not the lead singer Foreman, but his brother, the guitarist, hit on my girlfriend. Wow. <laughs> and who is my now mind wife. Yeah. <laughs> so I was a little like, hey, dude, come on. Wow. We need to talk to your wife about this. <laughs> I would like her opinion on what happened. Well, that was back when they like all these bands were first coming out and you'd go to a church and you could like talk to them yeah, and hang out right, with them and right. like the foyer or whatever. And those were, those were weird times, right? I'm pretty sure everyone has got off this episode now because we've triggered them so know, hard right? with us, evoking the names <laughs> of someone. Yeah. I know. Well, I think that'll do it for us this week. If you enjoy Ironicast and would like to join the work we are doing, please consider donating to our PayPal link at ironicast.com slash PayPal. We are committed to keeping the show free for listeners, but there are costs involved, and your financial support certainly helps. That's ironicast.com slash PayPal. Ironicast is also a nonprofit organization, so your donations are tax-deductible. You can also support the show by simply making sure you follow the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And if the platform allows it, leave us a rating and or review. So for this week, I'm Casey. This is Rajiv. I'm Jeff. And I'm Bonnie. Thank you, friends, for joining the conversation. Thank you.